Good morning. I would invite you. We're going to read from the the book of Ephesians. So chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I'll give you some time to find it because I don't know the pew Bible or your personal Bible number page. (laughs) But let's turn our attention to God's word. And this is Paul writing to the Ephesian church. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you enlighten your word that we may know not just what it says, but how you are calling it to apply to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. One of the greatest privileges we have as parents is to teach our children the importance of reconciliation. Now, as a father, I want my boys to not be afraid to go to their siblings or friends or whoever they may have offended and make peace. Now, this is often difficult because my sons are the age of seven and five, And they do not realize or even think that what they said or did was offensive. So this is where I get to walk them through the situation and carefully point out where the offense was received. This offense is usually oftentimes with their siblings, as I said. And by the end of our talking, they are pretty good about confessing and wanting to reconcile. Along with reconciling with one another, I gently remind them of their need to reconcile 
as well with God. So I have them confess where they have fallen short and then repent. This is a very powerful moment to behold, and you who are parents can understand. But but Paul in his letter here to the Ephesians is addressing the similar struggle, this struggle of division and hostility in their diverse community. And therefore, they're also in need of reconciliation. The congregation in its structure is composed of a mixture of Jewish and Gentile Christians. And at this point in the church's early history, the church was designed to understand how the Gentiles had a place in the household of faith. You see, the Gentiles are converts from paganism. And paganism, they were not familiar at all with God and any of his covenantal promises that maybe a Jewish convert obviously would be quite familiar with. So Paul here in this letter settles their anxiety by teaching them a theology of peace through reconciliation. And this is found exclusively in Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins with the foundation of the mystery of Christ, which is the Gentiles' invitation into the household of faith. And next, through the blood of Jesus, he articulates that both Jew and Gentile believers are now reconciled into one new man. Finally, as that one new man, all believers have full access to God himself through the giving of his Holy Spirit which then in turn makes them the new temple. Now, peace we know as believers is not like the world's peace, right? Peace is not just a feeling. It's not a state of being. But peace is a person, Jesus Christ. And our Prince of Peace has paid the price to reconcile his people to the Father and to one another. And so may Paul's words here help us to understand first the beauty of our acceptance into the household of faith, particularly as Gentiles. And next, we'll understand how in Christ, we are called to peacefully reconcile with one another when we encounter hostility and division, particularly amongst the community of faith here. Finally, as that one new man in Christ, how we are to grow into the true temple of his spirit. So first, let us look at the beauty of our acceptance into the household of faith as Gentiles. And real quick, it's interesting because we don't necessarily consider ourselves Gentiles, right? This is 2024, and this is around 60 AD. So it's a little bit uh, far away from us, but I promise it will make sense. So let's dig into the text here, beginning with the first word in verse 11. It is the word therefore. Now, why that's important, you ask? I'm glad you did, because what Paul is going to do here is he's saying right in the middle of this passage, you will not understand what I'm going to tell you until you understand what I just told you. 
you see that therefore says, what I just said, therefore this. That, therefore this. So let's look at the that. And that's the summary of verses 1 to 10. And verses 1 to 10 establishes for us that we are not only reconciled to God by his, we are only reconciled to God, excuse me, by his grace through faith. And he's going to build this logical argument here, starting with this as the foundation. Sola fide, sola gratis. Famous Reformation words, right? Only faith, only grace. And that's his base. And so he says, for us to truly understand this, we need to begin with humility. We had nothing to do with our regeneration. You and I had nothing to do with God regenerating our hearts. It is only him and him alone. And this calls for deep humility. God from the beginning of time has called us in Christ to himself. But this should give us pause at the wonder and amazement of why he would even do this. But Paul goes on to tell us two reasons why. The first is so that we don't boast in ourselves. Now, it's easy for us to do that, and we long to boast about our accomplishments. But here's the kicker. If we could boast about the grace, and we could obtain salvation somehow through our works, then it wouldn't be a gift that it is. And so you don't earn salvation. It's a gift that is only to be received. This is first and foremost. Secondly, we were created, Paul says, for the good works that he prepared for us to walk in as his workmanship. What a thought. What a thought that God has plans for yours and my life. And he knows every detail of that down to the smallest thing. And he knew that before he even created you. And so these two things point to two greater reasons for grace, and that is that God is sovereign, and it points to how incapable you and I actually are. But the reason I bring that up is because the Christian life is best lived right smack dab in the middle of understanding how sovereign God is and how in control he is and how incapable and out of control without him we are. Amen? So with these two reasons established in grace, we can see that God is sovereign, we are incapable, and what a wonderful place. And so Paul moves from that as the foundation into verses 11 through 13 with these painful words <laughs> that we could reflect on. Paul reminds them, the Ephesians, that who they once were, and listen, please, because this is who you and I once were. He states, remember that you once were called uncircumcised by the circumcision, and that you were separated from Christ and aliens to the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. This left you without hope 
and without God in the world. My goodness, Paul, anything else you want to tell us? (laughs) But he doesn't leave them or us at the bottom of the barrel. He pulls them up by dropping this theological bomb on them right after. He says, now. This is who you once were, but now, N-O-W. Now, you who once were far off, you have now been brought near. But how? Not by works. Simply by the blood of Jesus. Simply by the blood of Jesus. But what does this mean for us, though? Well, first of all, what sobering but true words. Friends, we need to regularly pause, no matter how uncomfortable or foreign these words seem to us, and reflect on how far we truly are from God because of our sin. It is then and only then that we can be brought back to seeing and understanding how gracious his grace is every moment and every day in our lives. And that we truly have been brought near. We are near. And so we need to silence any thought that would come against that. These thoughts are from arrogance and pride because they are opposite of what he's calling you and I to in humility. Now, I know this is difficult. I know this is tough because we live in a culture, you and I both live in a culture that glorifies self that glorifies individuality, that glorifies autonomy. You don't have to look far to find it. However, they must be silenced. It is nothing that comes from us. And instead, we need to turn to God in repentance, knowing that we, yes, we, we were once far off like the Gentiles, But now we have been brought near simply by the blood of Jesus and by God's desire. So next, we're going to look at how Christ has called us to this work of reconciliation. So Paul lays the foundation of how we are reconciled to him as outsiders, Gentiles. Now he's going to tell us, the work of reconciliation is for us to actually participate in. Did you know that? We don't only get to receive from God, we get to demonstrate this beautiful work to one another. And so let us now look at Christ and his calling us to a work of reconciliation, particularly within the covenant of his people, the one sitting to your left and to your right. Paul himself in verse 14 shares that Christ is our peace. That's important because it is his prerogative. It is his design. It is his desire, his choice 
that both Jew and Gentile would be reconciled to the Father in his flesh to create one new man instead of the two as the people of God and destroy the hostility between them. And he destroys this hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Verse 15, what the heck does that mean? Well, it means this. It means that now no man can no longer accept, be accepted by God by making a sacrifice. Right? This is the Jewish way, the sacrifice. In fact, there's no longer a need for a sacrificial system because of Christ. Because Jesus, the lamb that took away the sin of the world, was slain. He has risen and reigns at the right hand of God the Father. But please do not hear me say that the law is abolished altogether. Jesus didn't even say that. He said it's simply fulfilled in me. And so Paul, without being hostile here like his opponents are, he lets the church know that Christ indeed has abolished the ability That's the key. The ability for anyone to say that they could obtain righteousness or holiness in their own strength. In fact, when we do say that, it mocks him and his death and what he's done for us. So this is what the, obviously this is what the ordinances were set up to do, right? You bring your sacrifice, it's atonement for you. It's gone. But here's the problem. The opponents in Ephesus are actually still holding to that. And this is what was actually causing the division amongst the church. But you you may recall Luke's account of the gospel, chapter 23. He gives us a wonderful illustration, a tangible understanding of this reconciliation of Christ on the cross when he writes this. As Jesus was about to give up his life during the ninth hour while the sunlight failed, the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. You familiar with that? This symbolized the breaking down of the dividing wall that ended the hostility that Paul was speaking of. Friends, even though Christ has broken down in his life this dividing wall of hostility, are we not guilty of continuing the division and strife with our brothers and sisters? Be honest. You see, we look at what other fellow Christians are doing in this building, outside this building. We look at them and we grumble often at them in judgment. You're not doing it the way we do it. Or whatever it may be. And we further the strife and division. Could it possibly be from what James tells us in his epistle that the things that actually cause quarrels and grumbling and fighting amongst us are our passions within us and the desire to have 
what others have. And we're desperate to do whatever it takes to get it, to satisfy our idolatrous hearts. May it not be so. Again, Paul here argues that it is only Christ's flesh that makes this reconciliation of the two possible. His dying on the cross is a sure sign of reconciliation for both Jew and Gentile. And that is to God. Therefore, we are to be united in Christ. Let me say that again. We are to be united in Christ. And is this not what Christ puts before us in the partaking of communion with one another? Here at the table, Jesus' words to his disciples in the upper room were as he took the bread. He took the cup that we are to do this in remembrance of him. Because this proclaimed that this was his sacrifice and that it strengthens all of us who are partakers of it. You see, the table for us as believers is the ultimate place of peace. Let me say that again. The table for us as believers, is the ultimate place of peace. So before we ever partake of these elements, obviously we're not doing it today, but may we be reconciled to one another and not just take it without thoughtfully processing our stage in life or where we are with one another as a body. But finally, Jesus himself tells us that we are to be peacemakers, right? The Sermon on the Mount. And it's interesting to me what he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Does anybody know what the next line is? For they will be called children of God or sons of God. Isn't that interesting that peace is connected to identity. So for the peacemakers, you are the children of God. Again, peace is a person. It's an identity in Christ hidden. And so blessed are you, the peacemakers. You will be called, you will be called children of God. What a promise. But finally, let us now look at how we, as one in Christ, all grow up into this holy temple of God in the Spirit. Paul affirms in them that not only is Christ their peace, but he preached peace to both Jew and Gentile, so that as one, they may, in the Spirit, have full access to God himself full access to the Father. You see, this is the pinnacle of his argument here. He starts by building the foundation of our need to understand who we are in Christ. Then he says, now that you know who you are, you see yourselves differently, but I'm making in Christ one new man from the two. And now as that one new man, 
You are growing up into the temple of God because I dwell in you. Beautiful, stunning. And so this is the pinnacle of his argument here. True peace comes when we are reconciled to our heavenly Father. But what does this have to do with the Spirit? Well, it is the Spirit that is given to the regenerate believer as a sign and a promise that God has begun his work in them, in you, in I, and will surely see it through to completion. That's a promise. And that is the good news of the gospel. God elect, God's elect people now have access directly to God himself as children. This is adoption language here. Please see this. And I love how the Shorter Catechism teaches this doctrine. It says this of being an adopted child of God. We are received into the number and have rights or a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. What of those privileges? Assurance of God's love for you. Do you desire that? How about peace of conscience? How about joy in the Holy Spirit? How about perseverance to the end? To name a few. Now with the Spirit, we as God's children, saints and citizens of the household of God, to borrow from Paul here, are equipped to live a faithful life by the Spirit who reminds us of what Jesus taught while he was here on earth, who convicts us of our sin, and who strengthens us in our faith. You see, we could not live the Christian life without God's Spirit. We could not live the Christian life without his Spirit. And I do want to point out here very quickly Paul's beautiful articulation of the Trinity. You see, he simply says, it's the Son who saves and reconciles us to the Father in the power of his Spirit. So beautiful. So beautiful. But Paul further drives home this point that this new identity is the confirmation that we are his children and that we are growing into that holy temple. You see, God's spirit now resides in us. We as believer, believers have unfettered and unlimited access to him. You see, in the old covenant, the temple represented the place where God dwelt. It also was the place that one would go for the sacrifice of their sins to be atoned for. But friends, in Christ, he has fulfilled both of these types. And now with his spirit in us, that confirms that reality. And so our faith has real power. This is the same power that Christ raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out demons, recovered sight to the blind, caused the lame to walk, and made the outsider, you and I, insiders. So I ask you, dear friends, do you understand how the peace of Christ has reconciled you to your heavenly Father? 
you now have unlimited access to the God of the universe, the sovereign Lord, who not only has created all things, but through his providence keeps all things that not even a single molecule moves without his permission. Do you believe that you have been adopted into the household of God and are fellow citizens in an unshakable kingdom that is and one day will be the only thing left standing in our reality? Are you now convinced that God is pleased to dwell in you and you, with his spirit residing in you, have real power gospel power to speak light and life into a broken, dark, dead world that you encounter every day, wherever you go. You see, if you recognize these things that I'm speaking about, then let both you and I act like it. Let us not be shaken by the world around us. Let us be confident in these promises that God has placed before us. Let us be peacemakers with those believers around us in our communities, even the ones who may see things a little different than you and I do. Paul brings it to a head here later on in chapter four with another therefore. And he says this, after what I just told you about the reconciliation, therefore, now I'm gonna tell you how to live it out. He says, therefore, I urge you, I coax you, I desire that you do this, what I'm about to tell you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all and in all. We need to live by these words. And it can be hard to walk with someone that's different from you. I get it. But remember, you were both called in Christ. See, Rob, I, I know humility is hard to possess when you think you are in the right. I get it. But remember, Christ humiliated himself by taking on flesh and becoming a servant to die on the cross. You say, Rob, it's hard to be gentle at times with my brother or sister when they are just flat out obstinate with me. Again, remember, Jesus was led to Pilate like a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't even open his mouth. We need patience. We need forbearance. There's an old word. We need forbearance with one another. We need patience with one another. 
And isn't this what we pray for in our petitions when we say, oh, we want to be like Christ. I want to be like Christ. And yet, when the Lord gives us an opportunity or a person to exercise patience and forbearance, we get upset (laughs) and we push it away. But may it not be so. May it not be so. You see, it is only Christ's love that we ultimately can be obedient to what Paul is urging us here to do. And so church, let us eagerly expect the peace of Christ, the peace that passes all understanding to rule in our hearts by his spirit. This peace is more than possible now having been reconciled both individually as those who were far off and now having been brought near as well as corporately when we are called to extend this peace to reconcile with our neighbor. Then we can be confident in this, that this demonstrates the power of the cross of Christ to his broken and dying world who are desperate to know peace that are desperate to understand why you act the way you do that's so different than what they do every day. And so may this be a clarion call to you to be a witness and a testimony in which Paul speaks of here of peace through reconciliation. Let us pray. Father, we first and foremost thank you for your son and his sacrifice that has made it possible for the dividing wall of hostility to be torn down. And we thank you that you have given us your spirit as a down payment to the completed work that you promised you will do in each one of us. And until then, you call us to continue to discern how we have been reconciled to you only in your son. And as our response, reconcile to one another. For it brings you great joy to see us dwell in unity. And we pray this would be it so. In Christ's powerful name, and all God's children said, amen.